Amen. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to read and preach verses 19 through 21 this evening. These verses are about creation, and more specifically, the redemption of creation. Paul's just stated the wonderful truth that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with our future glory. Verse 18 is where he stated that. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And now what he does is he says, here's how great that glory is. It's so great that creation itself is looking forward to it. Creation itself is longing for it to come because when that glory is revealed, when our final redemption comes, then creation itself will be redeemed. And we're going to consider what that means as we consider these verses. So in a sense, these verses are about our future glory, our future redemption as believers. But Paul shows us that by having us look through the lens of the redemption of creation, because the redemption of creation and our final redemption, our future glory, go together. So let me pray for us, and then we'll give our attention together to the reading and the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your work of creation. You made all things of nothing by the word of your power, in the space of six days, and all very good, as our catechism says. But we know that we sinned against you and we marred your very good creation. And the creation was subjected to futility because of Adam's sin in the garden. And yet your word says that one day it will be set free from its bondage to corruption. On the day that Our glory is revealed to us, the revealing of the sons of God, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we ask that as we hear these verses read and preached this evening, that you would open our eyes more to the wonder of our future glory as believers as we look at it through the lens of the redemption of creation. Help us now. Give each one of us everything we need to listen and to learn and to grow. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter eight, reading verses 19 through 21. These are the words of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to look at these verses under three headings. First, the longing of creation in verse 19 then the fall of creation in verse 20, and finally the redemption of creation in verse 21. So first, the longing 
of creation. And I want us to note three things here in verse 19 about the longing of creation. Number one, note that Paul refers to the creation at the beginning of the verse there. For the creation waits with eager longing. Not the evolution, but the creation. Paul doesn't think of this world as being the product of the Big Bang and random chance mutations. He thinks of this world as being our Father's world, the world our Father made. This world is the creation of the Creator. It is the product of God's creative work. It is the fruit of God's creativity. It is the handiwork of God. The language of the creation reminds us that there's a creator behind the creation. And I think it's easy for us to forget that or to lose sight of that as we go about our days, as we drive here and there, or go about our daily routines. But it's good to remember that the creation all around us is always pointing beyond itself to the creator. The heavens are always declaring the glory of God, Psalm 19. The sky above is always proclaiming his handiwork. So creation is sort of like a radio station that is constantly broadcasting and therefore we want to always be listening. We want to always be tuned in to that broadcast so that we can hear and so that we can see the beauty and the glory of our maker. So Paul refers to the creation and let's remember that the creation points us to the creator. Creation is constantly broadcasting So let's make sure we're listening. Number two, note what Paul says about what creation does in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation waits with eager longing. The creation looks forward with eager expectation The whole creation is on tiptoe, as one paraphrase put it. The creation waits, but not like a prisoner on death row waits for his execution, but like a bride and groom wait for their wedding day with eager longing, with earnest expectation and anticipation. Now, you may be wondering, is Paul speaking literally here? That the creation literally waits with eager longing. So trees and stars and bugs and dogs. You know your dog is eagerly longing for you to get home from church this evening. But is your dog also eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God? Well, it seems that Paul is using personification here. Creation is personified. So kids, some of you may know that word, but in case you don't know the word personification, personification is when you pretend that something that's not a person is a person, and you pretend that it does things that only people do. Like if you say, that last piece of pizza is calling my name. Of course, the piece of pizza isn't literally calling your name. Only a person can do that. And the pizza is not a person, 
But when you say, that last piece of pizza is calling my name, you're using personification. You're saying that you really want that last piece of pizza. It's just sitting there looking so tasty, and it's as if it's calling out to you. It's as if it's calling your name. The Bible often uses personification. For example, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12 says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Mountains and hills don't literally sing. They don't have voices like people do. Trees don't literally clap their hands. They don't have hands like people do. That's personification. It's a way of making something sound more striking, more memorable. It is saying something true, but it's saying it using language that's not meant to be taken literally. Well, it seems that's what Paul's doing here. He's using personification. Creation itself is personified. He's not saying that the tree in your front yard or your dog or your cat are literally waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. No, he's saying that the revealing of the sons of God will be so great, our future glory will be so wonderful that the creation itself waits with eager longing for it. It's as if creation is like that bride and groom eagerly anticipating their wedding day. As the note in the ESV study Bible puts it, creation is personified in this verse and the following verses in order to emphasize the wonder of the future glory of God's sons. In other words, believers who have the rights of inheritance of all that God has in store for them. Think of how vast creation is. Think of how awe-inspiring and intricate and beautiful creation is. And yet creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of us, the sons of God. We are so tiny on this earth. If you've ever been on a plane, you know what I'm talking about. If you've looked down through the window and seen how small things are, how small the buildings are and the cars and trucks on the highway, how small the people are, if you can even see them, we are so small. And yet our future glory that God will reveal is so big that the whole earth and the vast heavens are longing to see it. That means we have a lot to look forward to as believers. No wonder Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's the third thing we should note under this first point about the longing of creation. Note what Paul says creation longs for. For the revealing of the sons of God. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We are God's children now. 
if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. And that is a tremendous blessing and privilege, one which we've considered in Romans. But what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet been revealed. It hasn't yet been revealed to us, and it hasn't yet been revealed to the world. We're like a character in a book or a movie whose full identity isn't revealed until the end of the story. Our identity, our future glory as the sons of God will be revealed when Christ returns. As Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the creation waits with eager longing for that revealing of the sons of God. For now, we suffer. And as we talked about last week, we seek to trust and obey God in the midst of suffering. We seek to patiently endure suffering. We seek to encourage each other in the midst of suffering. And we seek to live in the present in light of the future, not letting our present sufferings eclipse our future glory, but letting our future glory shine brightly down into our present sufferings. That's what we do now in this fallen world. But then, at the revealing of the sons of God, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. All the sons of God throughout time and space will be like the Son of God, and we will see him as he is. As our shorter catechism puts it, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why does the creation have this longing? Paul gives the reason in verse 20. Let's look at that now under our second main point, the fall of creation. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Paul gives us three reasons in verse 20. First, the creation was subjected to futility. That is, the creation was brought under the curse. Creation was rendered ineffective and unfruitful and unprofitable. Not absolutely, of course, but comparatively, compared to what it was made to be, what it was meant to be. Creation now has one hand tied behind its back. It's hindered and inhibited. It's frustrated and unfulfilled. And therefore, it longs for the revealing of the sons of God. Turn back to Genesis 3 for a minute. And let's read about creation being subjected to futility. Genesis 3 And I'm going to read verses 14 through 19. You can read along or listen along. This is the curse God pronounced upon the serpent and the man and the woman after the fall. 
Genesis 3, starting at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The creation was subjected to futility because of the fall of man into sin. So just here in Genesis 3, we learn that snakes are cursed above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. The implication being that all livestock and all beasts of the field are also cursed. Women have pain in childbearing. Cursed is the ground because of Adam's sin. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. This is clearly not the creation of Genesis 1 and 2. This is not the very good creation. This is not the pre-fall creation. This is the post-fall creation. This is the creation subjected to futility. Now, of course, creation is not utterly destroyed by the fall. Creation is still beautiful and wonderful and glorious and majestic, but it is marred. It is defaced, like a beautiful painting with graffiti sprayed all over it. So there's plentiful sunshine, but you can also get sunburn. The corn grows tall, but there's also blight and disease. The animals run and play, but they also kill and eat each other. There's the beautiful ocean, but there are also tidal waves and tsunamis. The creation was subjected to futility. So every time you see a dead animal on the side of the road, every time you eat a sour grape or a mushy apple, Every time you hear about a hurricane or a tornado or some other natural disaster, remember that this is a post-fall world we're living in. Remember that the creation was subjected to futility. And therefore, that is why the creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God. The second reason Paul gives for why the creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God is that the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, the him who subjected it 
was God. God subjected the creation to futility as a consequence of the sin of man. Genesis 5.29 refers to, quote, the ground that the Lord has cursed. Just like we read in Genesis 3, the Lord pronounced a curse upon the ground. But he pronounced a curse upon the ground because of the sin of man. So man was the criminal and man committed the crime. God was the judge and he executed the sentence. So God is the him in him who subjected it. But it was man's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't creation's fault. It was man's fault. Man sinned against God. And as a consequence of man's sin against God, as a side effect of man's sin against God, God subjected his good creation to futility. Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Creation didn't fall. Man fell. Creation didn't fall into sin. Man fell into sin. But because man fell into sin, creation is fallen. Fallen. Creation has come under the influence of the fall, under the effects of the fall. And therefore, creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God. The third reason Paul gives is that the creation was subjected to futility in hope. In hope. So the subjection is not absolute. The subjection is not permanent. The creation hopes. Again, creation is personified. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The fall of creation is not the end of the story. The Bible is not a dystopian novel or a dark post-apocalyptic film where there's no hope. The Bible is full of hope because God has a plan he is working out. God subjected his creation to futility in hope that he would one day set it free. The fall of creation is not the end of the story. It's only the first half of the story. The second half of the story is the redemption of creation. And God had the whole story in view from the beginning. When God ordained Genesis 3, he had Revelation 22 in view. He subjected his creation to futility in hope that he would one day set it free from its bondage to corruption. So the creation longs for the revealing of the sons of God because it was subjected to futility, because it was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and because it was subjected to futility in hope. And what was the hope? Paul specifies in verse 21. Let's look at that now under our third and final point, the redemption of creation. Verse 21, what was the hope? It was, quote, that 
the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let's think first about the bondage of creation and then we'll think about the freedom of creation. In terms of the bondage of creation, it is currently in bondage to corruption. It is currently in bondage to decay and death and destruction. Change and decay in all around, we see, as we sang earlier. Creation is not free, it's in jail, it's imprisoned, it's in bondage. And the jailer is corruption. The jailer is death and decay and destruction. When we look at creation, we do see its beauty, but we have to remember that it's in jail clothes. That beautiful sunset is actually behind bars. That deer bounding across the field actually has shackles on its feet. Creation is in bondage to corruption. In terms of the freedom of creation then, God is the one who will one day set it free. God is the one who imprisoned it because of the sin of man. And God is the one who will set it free when Christ returns. And then creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what does that phrase mean? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. It means the freedom that is the glorification of the children of God. So the glory of the children of God refers to the glorification of the children of God. And the glorification of the children of God is described as freedom, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that's because it's not just creation that will be free, we will be free. Our full and final freedom and creation's full and final freedom will go together. They will be, both of them, brought about at the return of Jesus Christ. Like Lucy and Peter and Edmund and all the rest, at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read the stories, they were finally free, and then they realized that Narnia was finally free. They realized that the old Narnia was only a shadow of the real Narnia, but now it had been changed, and they had been changed. As one character put it, Jewel the Unicorn, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Brihihi, come further up, come further in. On that day, we will be fully and finally redeemed and creation will be fully and finally redeemed. Our bodies will no longer be subject to decay and creation will no longer be subject to decay. Creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation will join in and participate in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's not just the people who will be made new while the place remains old and broken. No, both God's people 
and God's place will be fully redeemed and renewed. We will be made new and the earth will be made new. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. 2 Peter three thirteen. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I know I read Revelation 21 last week. Let me read it again. Verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Creation will be made new. Creation will be renewed. Creation will be transformed and purified. And it won't be returned merely to its pre-fall condition. It'll be even better. And same with us. We're not just going to go back to what it was like before the fall. We're going to go forward to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting on the new earth. We're going to go further up and further in forever. So creation is longing. Because creation is fallen. And it's longing for redemption. And redemption will come. Both for creation and for us. When Christ returns. Two things we can take away from all this as we draw to a close this evening. Two things. Number one, let me encourage you to listen to creation. Listen to creation. Again, creation is like a radio station that is constantly broadcasting. Therefore, we want to always be listening. We want to always be tuned in to that broadcast so that we can hear and see the beauty and glory of our maker but we also want to listen to creation in another sense. We want to listen to the fallenness of creation. We want to listen to the brokenness of creation and be reminded by that that the creation was subjected to futility because of sin. Creation is imprisoned and is waiting to be set free. So in a sense, creation is constantly broadcasting both the beauty of God and the ugliness of sin. We want to always be listening. So when you look outside and you see the green grass and you see the blue sky and you see the white clouds, be freshly reminded of the beauty of God. And when you see a dead animal... 
or rotten piece of fruit, or you hear about a tornado or a hurricane, be freshly reminded of the ugliness of sin because sin has marred God's very good creation. And so we should listen to creation as it declares to us both the glory of God and the sin of man. And second, and finally, not only should we listen to creation, but also we should long for redemption. Long for redemption. Long for your redemption and long for the redemption of creation. Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 1 Corinthians 1.7 and 8 tells us to wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5, 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So this is through the Spirit working in our hearts, by faith, trusting in Christ, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. One more, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So through the Spirit, by faith, let's eagerly wait for our redemption and the redemption of creation. Let's wait not like a group of school children wait for the school bus on a cold Tuesday morning in February, but like those same children, wait for the final bell to ring before summer vacation begins. Let us eagerly wait for our redemption and the redemption of creation. That day will come, and we will find that our present sufferings really weren't worth comparing with the future glory. That will no longer be future, but will be present. The sons of God will be revealed. And creation will once and for all be set free from its bondage to corruption. And will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just think about that. It won't be the old you anymore. It'll be the new you. It won't be the old earth anymore. It'll be the new earth. And we will all finally be home. And we will go further up and further in forever. Through the Spirit, by faith, let's long for redemption. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would give us a greater longing for redemption. Help us to listen to creation as it tells us constantly about your glory and also about the effects of sin. And help us to eagerly 
wait for the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute now during the meditation on the word to think and pray about what we've heard. Then we'll respond with singing.